why turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We're going to read a verse there, then we're going over to the book of Philippians. Romans chapter 1. I want you to look at verse 8. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, when you consider they didn't have sermon audio or YouTube or Vimeo or any of those other things, that's amazing. They didn't have airplanes. They didn't have radio. There was no television. But their faith, this church at Rome, in probably around 56 or 57 A.D., their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. We get to the book of Philippians. About four years have passed, and over in the book of Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is writing from Rome. Now understand, he was at a different place when he wrote, wrote the book of Romans. And he wrote to the, book of, or the, to, to the church at Rome. He had never been there. He knew a number of people, though. He had met Christian testimonies, and he refers to them in chapter 16. But here we go just four or five years later. He's at Rome. He is now a prisoner. The church at Philippi that Paul started wanted to be a blessing to Paul. They took up an offering and sent it to him. So he writes the letter back to thank them. Also, since one of their members had been very, very sick, uh, sick Epaphroditus, he wanted to send somebody over to the church to see how they were doing. Couldn't find anybody. He said, but I trust in the Lord Jesus. This is verse 19 of chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. And then one of the saddest verses in the epistles. For all seek their own and not the things that are Jesus Christ. Back here in Romans 1.8, four or five years before, he thanked Christ that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And just a few years passed, not long. And we find that he says, for all seek their own and not the things that are Jesus Christ. What happened to that church? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I pray, Heavenly Father, the Spirit of God would speak to our hearts, challenge us about ourselves. Uh, dear God, sometimes we get so settled in and we become so lazy and we become cold. In some cases, Christians want to start letting other people do their job instead of them staying faithful right on through to Jesus coming back. Lord, but whatever it is, you have your way in hearts today. Show us what our need is in this hour. And Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I remember when the first steakhouse buffet that I knew anything about came to Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I was pastoring in Manchester. 
And I want to say that they called it Duff's. It was something like that. I think it was Duff's. It was all you can eat. Now, I'm a lower middle class guy. Coming from a lower middle class home, who we always had limited money, and I just always felt that if it was an all-you-can-eat restaurant and you didn't eat all you could eat, that you were throwing your money away. <laughs> made sense to me. How made that make sense to a whole bunch of you? That's why I can't lose weight. But man, I fell in love with Duff's, and then after that, we had a whole host of different uh, steak restaurants like that that were all you can eat. Remember when Bonanza came out? I'm not talking about the TV show. Obviously, they used that name in order to get more people in. Uh, then Ryan's. Man, I loved Ryan. I loved those, those bis- not biscuits, uh, rolls. Oh, man. Uh, Quincy's. Barn Hills, Ponderosa, Golden Corral, Fire Mountain. (laughs) At one time or another, each of those have been my favorite place to eat. (laughs) All you can eat. You know, the problem is now at my age, I can't eat very much, which is why I feel like I'm losing money. So, and now today when I go, I only eat the expensive stuff. I don't eat the salads. Man, I'm, I'll tell you, I, I don't eat filler. I, give me the steak. You know, I go to Texas, do Brazil, man. I'll tell you, I've got three meats I eat. That's it. I mean, I'm at least going to break even on this thing, all right? <laughs> anyway, you know, in each case, now all those restaurants that I mentioned, they didn't all come about at the same time. One of them would come into town, and, and you'd go down there, and man, you just you saw that food, and it smelled so good, and you could walk around and pick all that you wanted, and you'd go and get different things, and if, if you had any room left, you could go back and do some more, and, and uh, it, it, it was great. Each one of these were absolutely great. Food was excellent. The prices were outstanding. All of that, it was great. People start flocking to these places. And then, I don't know, something happens. You go in one day, and it's not quite as clean. The dishes, you go in, they not only still have the water on them, but they got spots and food on them. And, man, what's going on here? There'll be food on the floor. It takes them longer to come around and get the food that's been dropped off the floor. And uh, after a while, you think, you know, I, I don't even like going in there anymore. And you find that a whole lot of other people end up thinking the same way, and they stop going. Then another one of these things crop up, sometimes in the same building. And they go back to good service and good food and a decent price. And so you, everybody starts going there, and they're jam-packed. And then another two years They start getting lax in the things that made them, so everybody wanted to go there. And then another one would crop up, and you would go down there, and everybody else had the same idea. That's what they wanted. Now, you would think that somewhere along the line, these 
uh, restaurant food service professionals would get it. But they don't. Each one of them go through the same type of life cycle until finally they have to close down. And, and you have to put up with some stuff before they finally, finally do close down. You notice the next chain has bought them out, taken their place. And you wonder, what on earth? Why don't they get it? You would think they'd get it. Well, let me ask you a question. What happens to churches? I mean, it, it does, it, it's strange, but like Highland Park. I went to Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga because I went to Tennessee Temple University. When I went there in 1974, they were running 10,000 in Sunday school. A, uh, w- one of the writers for the Chattanooga News Free Press uh, wrote uh, a book with a lot of pictures in it of the history and uh, Dr. Robertson, the uh, pastor during over 40 years and all of that. And, uh, you know, it talked about all the different ministries, the bus ministries that they had, all the different Sunday school classes, 10,000 in attendance on Sunday. I mean, that's phenomenal. But today, there is no Highland Park Baptist Church. Today, there is no Tennessee Temple University. I remember when they would have their missions conferences and they would have a couple of missions conferences a year. They would have one in the, uh, either the fall or the spring, another one in the summertime. And they would have 100 missionaries there. They'd have them all seated up in the choirs, big choir. Uh, and, uh, and wow, that was impressive. They had a big mission board up and they supported over 400 different missionaries. You think, wow, this is a great place. And I can remember thinking, I don't know about Brother Nelson or, or, uh, or Brother Weeks, but I can remember thinking, you know, when I get out of school, this will be great to come back to their Bible conferences and their missions conferences just to get stirred up again, to hear that music, to see those missionaries, to see their, those great preachers come in that preached in their revival, their fall revival services or their Bible conferences that they had. Uh, this, there was fire there. I mean, it was exciting. As a matter of fact, I can remember that the only service that they did not have anyone come forward. I mean, they always had somebody come. They were baptizing every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They were baptizing each one of those services. I can remember that they had a Bible conference and a radio preacher by the name of Paul Van Gorder was preaching on the, uh, the pro- not the Proverbs, the parables of Acts ch- Matthew chapter 13. And I, it was like the third message. The invitation was given. Nobody came forward. That was so weird. I mean, that was weird, weird. Nobody came forward. And it's like, Man, that had to be a failure message. If you, you can't get somebody to come forward here. Been, you know, people, God just had people coming forward all the time. Uh, and I'm not saying that was the beginning of things going down at all. It was just that kind of a church that you knew something was going to happen and some things were going to happen. God had moved in a great way for so many years there. Now, 
As I said, that great church, which is known around the world, which was responsible for training not just missionaries but preachers uh, all over the world. What a marvelous ministry that it was, and none of it's even there today. But you know what happened to the church at Jerusalem? That church that was at Jerusalem that we read about in the book of Acts, it's not there today. Those seven churches of Asia Minor, uh, they're not there today. I'm talking about an active church. Uh, they've all dropped by the wayside. The church at Antioch that sent those missionaries out, Paul and Barnabas and then Paul and Silas, that church isn't there today. It's gone. And you think, what on earth happened? I don't know about you, but for my part, you know, that's one of the fears that I have. And I realize generations come along, and it is, well, as the songwriter said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And then he said, take my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. I think one of the things that was so shocking about Highland Park is that it was going down even before Dr. Robertson died, and that was a sad, sad thing. Some of the leadership that came in after, uh, after his leadership as pastor, um, and so he was still alive when it had basically gone down greatly and some of the stuff they were having in there. Uh, so, you know, but I, I can't do anything about what it's going to be like in the next generation. I can only do something about what it's going to be like while I'm here. And what's sad is, I, I know when Dr. Robertson retired from being pastor, he didn't retire from preaching. He still went out and preached in three different churches a week. He preached all the time, all over the place. Um, but the first guy that came in, he, he would brag about, he, he changed just a couple of little things. Uh, he started letting the men wear mustaches. That wasn't a big deal. But it was the beginning of a big deal. You know, we don't want to be known for carrying such a hard line. And he just changed a few things. The next guy that came in, uh, he changed a lot more to where they were even having so-called rock Christian bands come in to entertain the students when they first came to school. Oh, still believe the same thing. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. You see, the churches go down because of things that they change. As a matter of fact, people who were, became in leadership and had a say at Highland Park Baptist Church made it very, very plain to a number of people that they did not want another Dr. Robertson to be their pastor. And guess what? They got exactly what they wanted. And it's not there today. That's the result of that. Now, I know there's always people who would like the church to compromise in some area. But do you understand, if we end up being like everybody else, then we're not needed. Thank God there needs to be a place where people who still believe the book can go to that place and they know it's the book that they're going to hear preached. And they're not going to be a bunch of foolishness. Or loosey-goosey music, as uh, Bobby Robertson would say. So, my fear about Madison Baptist Church. I mean, we're a well-known church. Our, um, I, I look at this, what is said back here. 
in Romans 1.8 that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I don't know that our faith is spoken of through the whole world, but I do know this. I preach at a lot of places, and it's amazing to me the people who know of us. Man, I go into churches that know of us just because we've had so many of missionaries out of Madison Baptist Church that have been to their church. And so they've seen us on the video presentations and all that. As a matter of fact, what we stand for at Madison Baptist Church, that is known as well. They know we take a stand against some things because we believe the Bible is right in everything. And and many of them, they say, well, if, if they're out of Madison Baptist Church, they must be good missionaries. We know they told the line. Now, what it's going to be 10 years from now, I don't know. Only if I'm here for another 10 years can I have any say about that at all. Now, this is an amazing thing, Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, He writes to the Romans in about 56, 57 A.D. That's at least a year after his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians. He mentioned their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. This was not a church that Paul started. That makes it unusual because Paul had some kind of impact on each of the other churches that he wrote to. But he he had not been to Rome yet when he wrote the book of Romans. He was still looking forward to making a visit. Now, there were people in the church at Rome that Paul had come across in his missionary journeys. And they had been a great blessing to him. And he refers to them back in chapter 16. Turn back to chapter 16. And notice beginning in verse 3 of Romans chapter 16, the good things that Paul has to say about these people. He says in verse 3, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Eponidas, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Salute Apellus, approved in Christ. Salute them that are are, are of uh, Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Then he goes on and he mentions a few more names. But you see, these people at at the time that he writes to the Romans had made their way to Rome. And they were in the church at Rome. These are good folks. Now, these people had traveled around some. They had ministered with the Apostle Paul. Now, they must have had a pretty good-sized membership. There were a number of churches, uh, local assemblies that are mentioned there in this letter to the Romans. 
But they had a great testimony at the time that the Apostle Paul wrote. But when we get to Philippians, in about 62 A.D., we get to the Philippians. Paul is now in Rome. He is a prisoner in Rome. He has fellowshiped with the church at Rome. He's been at Rome for a while, probably a, at least a year, and he's received that offering from the Philippians. He's wanting to send someone back to Philippi from Rome rep to represent him. It would require a journey. It's 800 miles. It would require a journey of at least six weeks or a, uh, a month and a half. Now, think if somebody came to you today and said, listen, I want you to go over now. Now, Brother, uh, Brother Nelson can definitely understand this. He's filled in for some of our missionaries at times. And uh, imagine if uh, Brother Nelson and I came up to you and said, listen, uh, one of our missionaries over in Spain, they need someone to take their place. I need you to be gone six weeks. They need to be encouraged. Would you go? Would you, be, would you do all you could to be able to get away and just go? I, I don't know how many people we'd find who'd be willing to do it, who would have the heart that it would take to get it done. So he's wanting to send someone back, and when he tells them why, he's going to have to send Timothy, and Paul needed Timothy for himself. He was a blessing to him. But Paul's heart was for the Philippians, and so he's willing to send Timothy. He says, for I have no man in this church at Rome that had all those good people in it just four or five years before. I, I can't find one man who will naturally care for your state. Why? Now, since we know that the scripture is inspired, given by the Holy Ghost of God, that verse 21 is a statement that comes from the Holy Spirit more than the Apostle Paul. He says, for all seek their own and not the things that are Jesus Christ. Now suddenly, that doesn't sound like a testimony that you would want to be known for around the world. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of born-again people down there at that church, but they all seek their own. Now, I'm prone to exaggeration at times. You may be prone to exaggeration at times. I don't know, Paul, sometimes you just feel like, man, you're all alone. But this is the Holy Spirit who is making this statement about this church. For all seek their own and not the things which are Jesus Christ. And it makes you wonder, what on earth happened? These good people, some that had been fellow prisoners with Paul. Now, it is possible that some of those people by this time have left Rome by the time Paul gets there. Now, we don't know which ones because we are not told. Some of the people that he mentions very favorably in those first uh, 13 verses in chapter 16, some of them may not be there. Could we possibly, by looking at Paul wrote to this church, as far as we know, he had nothing to do with the salvation of most of them. As I said, he had not been there. He did not start the church. We don't know who did. 
It may have been from believers that when Paul was lost, when he was Saul of Tarsus, and he persecuted the church in Acts chapter 8, the beginning of it, he says, and they that were, uh, uh, let's see, what's the verse? They that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Some of those probably went uh, toward Italy, toward Rome, and they preached the word and people got saved there. So this is unusual because he writes to Corinth. Paul started the church at Corinth. He writes to Ephesus, started the church at Ephesus. Writes to Philippi, he started the church at Philippi. We, when he writes to Timothy, Timothy was his son in the faith. And he, when he's writing to him, he's writing to somebody. He had a direct uh, influence in their life for their salvation and call. Writes to Titus, it's the same thing. He writes to Philemon. There was a man that Paul had known in service. But to the church at Rome, he didn't start that. Why is he writing them? Could it be because he knew from his experience with the churches of Galatia, his experience with the Corinthians, his experience when he was at Ephesus, could it be that he recognized that there are some things that seem to naturally take place among churches? For him, that would have been in the first century, but we find that those things haven't changed much. So let me see, is he trying to do in the book of Romans some preventive maintenance for this church at Rome? So perhaps... We learned from this that there was a relaxing of the basics. In Romans 1 through 9, chapters 1 through 3, he deals with the holiness of God, the sinfulness of sin, and the sinfulness of all mankind. Now that's basic. Why do men need to be born again? Because they're sinners. All are sinners. Everyone is a sinner. And he makes that plain. He says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Perhaps part of it has to do with the fact that the church of Rome was so far away from Jerusalem and the main Jewish influence in the church that was had back in, uh, back in Jerusalem that so far away he was concerned about certain influences coming in. Because today it is taboo to preach on sin anymore in a lot of churches. After all, you're not supposed to pass your convictions on to other people. And yet people need to know that sin is sin and God still hates it and his wrath is still against it. In chapters 4 and 5, he makes it plain that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. The whole book of Galatians is about that. And here in, in chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Romans, he covers that in great detail, that salvation is by grace through faith faith in Christ. In chapters 6 through 8, he lets us know that sanctification is a walk. The choices are based on keeping certain truths in, in mind. But we are kept by him, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39. We're not kept by our works. The Galatians ended up falling for false doctrine. Doctrine is important. As a matter of fact, doctrine is absolutely vital. And most of these new movements that come along, one of the things that they insist on is that doctrine has to take a secondary place in your life. 
Because if you're going to stand for truth, then you're going to have to stand against error. And to stand against error, you're going to have to identify it. Churches go way astray because they won't take a stand for God's truth. In chapters 9 to 11, he makes it very plain that salvation is for everybody. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He is strong toward everyone that calls upon him. Uh, Jew or Gentile makes absolutely no difference. And then you get to chapter 16. After he issues, uh, after he talks about the good believers that had been there, you get to verse 17 and look at this warning near the end of the book. In chapter 16 of the book of Romans. I'll turn over there. I lost my place. Verse 17. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. Mark them and what? Avoid, avoid them. Now again, Paul may be holding the pen in his hand, but those words come from the Holy Spirit of God. Mark them which cause offenses. Uh, let's see. Uh, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Someone has said, it's never a blowout, it's always a slow leak. We just start changing one thing. In a preacher's case, a preacher will say, well, I still believe those things. I just don't preach those things anymore. Well, if you're not going to preach it, it won't be long. You won't be believing it. First of all, you've got to justify your silence when we are responsible as preachers to proclaim the whole counsel of God, all of it, not just part of it, not just the parts that keep people coming, but even those parts that kind of ruffles pe people's feathers. They still need to get the truth. So perhaps he is trying to shore up against a relaxation of the basics. The basics are still basic. Understand that. We, yes, we need to hear the first things of the gospel. We need to hear the simple verses and the hard verses. And we need to stand and believe that God wrote what he meant and he meant what he wrote. That God did not write this book primarily for the theologians. Because the theologians all want to put their special twist on everything. He wrote it for believers. It's God's love letter to you to know the mind of God on things that you would, could not even guess are the mind of God. And if God says it, no matter what, it may go against in the theologian's mind, you can believe that God meant it the way he said it. Then perhaps they were beginning to get proud because you get to chapter 12 and he has to remind them about the gifts. He starts out by saying in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And you remember when he was talking about those saints that he had known who had, for a while at least, moved to Rome, he talked about their service for God. 
Can you imagine traveling around in that whole atmosphere uh, around Rome at that time? Perhaps they were beginning to get proud. You say, why is that? He says, be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And then notice, dealing with gifts, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. This sounds like 1 Corinthians chapter 12, doesn't it? It's the same basic truths that are being given. Every part of the body has its place in the body and has its place of necessity and service within the body. We are not called to sit. We are called to serve. When he says in Ephesians 2, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. I've had the privilege of being pastor here for, for 34 years, and I just want to say that the most exciting and happiest times at Madison Baptist Church is when more and more people are serving. Not sitting and soaking, serving. We are all called to be servants. Paul considered himself a servant of Jesus Christ. Not one to sit in a throne chair, but one to serve. That's what Jesus taught in Mark chapter 10. Made it very, very plain. We have that responsibility. We are still here to serve. That doesn't change. Perhaps they were getting proud, and he has to deal with them about that, even dealing when he gets to chapter 13 about loving one another and not getting so high and mighty. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be ordained of God. You know, you read that passage and begin to realize, you know, the political leaders that absolutely disgust us today, God put them there. And he either gave us what we deserved or what we needed. And I think we got what we deserved. You say, well, we need to change that. Tell you how you change that. Change yourself. I mean, God's people need to get right with God. You can go down to the ballot box all you want. That's not going to change anything in this nation. We've got to change our own attitude toward our service for God and make our lives count for him. James 4, 6 declares, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. When people begin to get proud, they become more concerned about how they're treated than they are whether or not they're treating others right. And Romans chapter 13 deals with that as you go through it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Uh, Chapter 13 and verse 9. Verse 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is is fulfilling the law. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. They were beginning to judge one another. Look at chapter 14 and verse 4. 
Who art thou that judgest another man's servant to his own master? He standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. I'm beginning to think that there are a lot of people, in some cases it's pastors as well as people, that sit back and they know how every church is wrong. But they consider that their ministry, to know how every church is wrong. Not accomplishing anything for the cause of Christ, but just getting a bunch of complainers around them. And people who think they get to sit in judgment on somebody else's, some other master's servant. We need to be careful about that. Chapter 15 and verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So perhaps there was about to be a relaxing of the basics. Perhaps there seemed to be some pride that may be coming into that church at Rome. After all, they were well known. The whole world knew about them. And we need to be careful. We get to think we're something special. Isn't God blessed to have us? No, we're blessed to have him. And anything good that's been done here, it's God that's done it. He gets the praise and the glory. And perhaps they were getting careless. I read the verse a minute ago, but over in chapter 16, I want you to notice verses 16 through 19. In chapter 16, when he says, Salute one another with a holy kiss, the churches of Christ salute you. Verse 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. The word simple, the way it's used in the book of Proverbs, it means literally to know nothing. We don't need to study evil. God wants us to be wise concerning good. That's what we ought to be studying. And simple concerning evil. Too many, unfortunately, in today's churches, they know everything about all the evil. And they don't know how to do good. No wonder they'll call that which is evil good and that which is good evil. Because they don't know the difference. I mean, it still shocks me, even in this day, even after the years where wokeism and uh, this nonsense about 120, 30, 70 genders is out there, that kids in independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist churches like Madison Baptist Church don't see what's wrong with homosexuality. Can't understand why the preacher get up and yells and screams against abortion that it's wicked murder. Uh, it's, it's amazing how they try to justify rock music. I mean, that is music that deals totally on the flesh and inciting the flesh to be flesh. And we want to revel in that. And our kids want to support it and think, well, what's wrong with it? 
In other words, you want to be your own God and you want to decide the good and the evil, you better be careful about that. You know, when I got to studying in the scripture about convictions and about right and wrong, I'd made up my mind before I went to the study that I was going to find out what some good, godly people said about things. I was going to compare it with the scripture, see what scriptures they used. And if it was biblical, I decided that's the stand I'm going to take then. If it wasn't biblical, then I wasn't going to worry about it. I wasn't going to have anything to do with it. Simple as that. Now, the amazing thing is here, he says in verse 19, for your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise concerning that which is good and simple concerning evil. It's interesting that Paul writes that in light of the fact that Demas was serving with him. Demas had been a fellow prisoner. Demas is with him when he's writing from Philippi to the church at Rome. But when he writes later in 2 Timothy, he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. His love changed, his companion changed. His love changed, his place changed. Here he was with the apostle Paul. Paul couldn't keep him. And it's funny, I, I hear some of these preachers, you know, they, you, you lose somebody in your church, well, if he'd preached the book to them, he'd been able to keep them. Really? We find people left Jesus. Even Peter denied Christ. Judas Iscariot had a devil. He saw Jesus' work. He heard the things Jesus taught. Did Jesus not give him the full load? Well, of course he did. Wasn't Jesus' fault that, that Judas Iscariot died lost? By the way, it wasn't Paul's fault that the church at Corinth went astray. It wasn't Paul's fault that the church, uh, churches of Galatia began believing wrong about salvation. Paul had given them the truth. They weren't paying attention. Now, the result of the decline is this. Let me give you a few things and we'll be done. Philipp, go over to Philippians. Perhaps there had been a relaxing in the basics. Well, we know eventually it had to come for them to end up getting so sorry in just four or five years. But in Philippians chapter 1, the result of the decline in the church at Rome... Now, as he writes Philippians, remember, he's writing from Rome. He says in verse 12 of chapter 1, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest, that is, made known in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. But the point is this, there were people that had gotten lax in their soul winning, but when they found out Paul was in jail, they were more bold to speak for Christ, even those, even those that didn't like Paul because they thought their preaching would add to his bonds. Man, you got to admit, that's some pretty sorry Christians right there. 
I mean, how phony baloney can you get? They're preaching to add to his bonds. Now, notice in verse 16, he says, The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing that affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is priest, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Paul, instead of complaining about it, Paul says, I'm going to rejoice that at least Christ is preached. If they're not doing it because I encourage them to preach Christ, they're doing it to simply add to my bonds. I'm just going to praise the Lord that at least they're talking about Jesus because that is the most important thing. Not only that, some preached only to hurt others. Verse 16, the one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing that affliction to my bonds. Strange motivation for preaching the gospel. They preached only to make Paul look bad. There are people like that today. And that's, by the way, that is a natural result of pride. You know, for our preachers' conferences, I think you have probably noticed that we have a real variety. I have a real variety of of preaching styles come in here. I think we saw that in this preaching conference quite a bit. Uh, Some are loud. Some aren't very loud at all. Um... I'm not going to say some are long because basically I give, I give the first speaker each tonight some guidelines. I want the first speaker done by 8 o'clock. The Bible says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So I believe that uh, that's right. If they're not going to obey that part, then that'll be the last time they'll preach for us. But, uh, but I, you know, they got some different spins. I, I have a number of preachers, I, practically all my favorites, but there are some styles that you like and other styles don't really mesh with you a whole lot. The key is, though, if you're after content, all these guys had content. It was all truth. Even though it may have come in different packages, the main thing was the main thing, the truth of the Word of God, and they stood by it. That's why we got so much help out of this thing. But those that preach just to hurt others, Matter of fact, we've had some that have done that, and I, I just stopped having them. Because it's, listen, the super conference is for us to get something from God that will help us in our service and in our walk. And their purpose had become themselves. Over in chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. You can live to be true to yourself or you can live to be true to Jesus Christ. It's one or the other. If it's not my will that counts but his will with all of my life, then that's what I need to be surrendered to. Now, for a lot of years, we have seen God do a number of things to help us in conferences and VBSs. Brother Ashley alluded to that about yesterday. Uh, with the rain and hey praise the lord god does stuff like that and that's always a blessing 
I believe he gave us snow and ice all week this last week. There's a reason for it. Now, as a pastor, I confess to you that just goes against everything. I, I, I don't want snow and ice to put the crowd down. Well, he provided live streaming for us first. So we can still get the message out. So praise the Lord for that. And, we, and one of the first messages that we had, the first one that Brother Ross preached, all things, all things. So I had to say several times, thank you, Lord, for the ice. Praise the Lord. You know what you're doing. There might be somebody at home at the end of the service kneeling down beside their couch, repenting, getting right with God, and had they been sitting among us here, they never would have made a decision. Praise God. You know what you're doing. You know what we needed. Whatever his reasons are, and I'm not saying I know exactly the mind of Christ about that, I just know that all things means all things. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. People don't like being put out to help the ministry for Christ. They want what they want. What a sad church this church at Rome had become. I don't know that they were yet where the church at Laodicea eventually was at some 30, 40 years later. But I do know that this isn't good. I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own and not the things which are Jesus Christ. You know, one of my big fears about live streaming is people won't go the extra mile to go to church. That's one of my fears. But if God decides it's the only way you're going to hear it, then at least let's hear it. Isn't that right? Not necessarily what we wanted, but that's not important. We did want God's will first of all, and you can't hardly argue when he puts the ice on all the roads. Praise the Lord. But that live streaming, man, I just wonder how many folks... Don't even sit on the couch together as a family and watch and sing the songs as they're being sung, treating it as much like a church service as what they can. I tell you, if you got kids at home, you better make sure you do that. Don't let that. Don't let your kids see you treating a church service that you want to be at, but you can't be there. Don't let your kids see you treating that like just another TV show. find ourselves getting into the same spirit of the people of Rome. For all seek their own, not the things that are Jesus Christ. Where are you at tonight? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this passage. Uh, Lord, you show us the good things about so many of your people in Scripture. And then you also show us the warts. You show us the dings and the armor. The failings of your people. And it helps us to realize that we can be exactly like that. We could get in the same boat the church at Rome got. If we didn't stay alert and careful. Lord, speak to our hearts tonight. Thank you for what you've done in this place, and we long for you to do so much more. 
But we know, Father, that we've got to keep right with you if we're going to see those kind of blessings. Have your way in our lives tonight. Bless us in the invitation, I pray in Jesus' name.